You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, if I haven't met you yet, my, my name is Gabby. I am the Director of Community Connections here. So if you are just visiting us or you've been around and you want to know how you might get connected a little bit more, um, we'd love to be able to do that um, with you. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, I get to um, start us in a new sermon series that we are starting for the fall that we've titled Character matters. And character, this, this, this thing that is about who we are, um, our behaviors, the things that we say, um, the thoughts that we think, and how that character informs all those things. And the joys and the griefs in our life and how that shapes us. And scripture shows us that we are to be deep people, uh, shaped by the way and work of God. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to be studying First Samuel and looking at some of the characters within this story um, as a case study for the type of character that we might learn from and um, display as well. And so this morning we get to learn from Hannah. Now, before we jump into First Samuel, I want to kind of paint the picture of where we are at in the entirety of, of the biblical story. So um, there are, there's the nation of Israel, and they have been rescued and saved out of Egypt. God has made a covenant with them in Mount Sinai. They're eventually brought into the promised land, and it's there that they are supposed to be, supposed to be, uh, faithful to God and obey the covenant commands that they have made in this covenant with God. Um, but as, as we read through the book of Judges, we actually find that they have actually failed that pretty big time. Um, it is a time of just moral chaos, just they are sacrificing to other gods, they are worshiping other gods, it's just, they're a hot mess. And so the books of First and Second Samuel, which were originally one scroll, it's split in half because of a, a sake of um, scroll lengthage, um, but the books of Samuel or to provide an answer to that need. That there is a need for a wise and a faithful leader. And so um, as we start for Samuel, we're at this threshold of a nation that has been led by a theocracy, so led by judges, um, which isn't the type of judge like we think with like a gavel, but more like uh, religious leaders um, leading the people and moving into a monarchy led by a king. And so that's the story we're going to see kind of unfold in 1 Samuel. We're not quite there yet, but as we start 1 Samuel, we're at this threshold of this time. And we open up 1 Samuel, and we meet the story of a family, um, a man named Elkanah, and his wives Peninnah and Hannah. This is a family that has remained faithful to God in the midst of this chaotic time for Israel, um, and Peninnah is, um, is the wife that has, has the children. Um, this is a common theme we've seen in, um, in Scripture before, if, if you're familiar with some of the other um, stories in Scripture. But Peninnah, she has children, and Hannah is barren, and she does not. And this is a time that um, in this patriarchal society, um, that to be a woman without children um, is to be looked upon as a disgrace, um, which is 
the time that it is, we as modern people look at that and we're just kind of grossed out by that, but this is the time in which um, Hannah is. And so she has been grieved by this, mostly because um, if, if she were to be widowed and she were to be left, she, her husband, um, she, all of her fortune, all of her future is in that, and without children to care for her, as a widow without children, she would be left without a home, without care. Um, so in addition to desiring to be a mother, these are also just social things that are affecting her in this time. Um, and yet, despite this um, disgrace, this what we might say is unfavor, um, Hannah is actually favored. Um, her name means favor, and her husband actually favors her, which is really infuriating to Peninnah who's the one who has kids, and I'm sure in her mind she's like, I should be the one who is being favored. I should be the favorite. Why are you showing Hannah all the attention? And so she, she is unfair, she's cruel to Hannah, and um, if you've ever been around somebody who knows where your weak spot is and they just decide to just drive a dagger into it, you know that that's not exactly the kind of people you want to spend your time with, and yet this is Hannah's family. And so she's deeply grieved It has been year after year after year, and this grief stays with her. And so that's where we're picking up in our story this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel um, chapter 1. We're going to be starting at verse 9 if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me. If not, all good. The words are going to be behind me on the screen. 1 Samuel 1, starting at verse 9, says this. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull 
an ephah, a flower, and skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful. We're grateful for the life of Hannah. Um, We're grateful that you are a God who hears us. And you are a God who is working in and through us. I pray that we um, would learn from Hannah from this story um, and that we could embody the character of her um, in our own lives as as we seek our lives to worship you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's just kind of break down what it is we just read. Um, Hannah and family have come up to the temple for their annual sacrifice and worship. Um, And after they've eaten, Hannah slips away to pray. And she's praying to um, when, and and the priest Eli sees her. um, And as she's praying quietly to herself, what's happening internally is she is pleading. She is crying out to God. She's saying, God, if you give me a son, I will pass on my son for you, Lord. She vows that her son will be a Nazarite um, his whole life, which is that reference to the razor cutting his head. That's a, that is a vow that can be voluntarily taken. Um, and it's meant to, um, those who take the vow, they don't, they don't drink wine um, and they don't cut their hair. And that's meant to be an outward sign, um, uh, an outward symbol of an inner dedication to God. And so this... Um, this vow that um, Israelites would take is, was usually taken temporarily. It would be taken temporarily for a time um, of reflection and service. But what Hannah does is she promises her son for a, to be a lifelong Nazarite who would endlessly be in God's service. So she's, she is praying. She is pouring out her heart. And Eli assumes she's drunk. <laughs> which is just terrible pastoral wisdom. Like, <laughs> like if after service today you're sitting in a chair and, um, and you're praying and I come up to you, I'm like, do you gotta go, you're drunk. I need you to just like find the nearest elder and fire me immediately. Like I'm, I'm done, <laughs> just terrible. So he accuses her of being drunk and um, I read this as kind of a pun. So this is how I read it. She's like, the only thing I've been pouring around here is my heart. Like, I haven't, I haven't poured any wine. I haven't had any beer. Like, the only thing I am pouring out here is my heart. And in my mind, Eli's probably like, oh, whoops, shoot. Okay, well, here's, here's, a little, here's a blessing for you. Go on your way. My bad. Um, so she leaves her home um, no longer appearing as sad. Uh, she and her husband are intimate, and the verse 19 says that the Lord remembers Hannah, which is an interesting phrasing, because you might think, well, if the Lord remembers Hannah, does that mean that he forgot her? Um, and, this, and this phrasing of remember, it's more like, it's less like, okay, have you ever put a pot of water onto boil, and then you walk away to something else, and you come back, and you've forgotten it, and it's boiling over, and you've, now if you've got a glass top, like, it's going to stain and be a mess, and you have to deal with it because you forgot it? And this isn't that kind of remembering, but it's more like remembering 
carefully remembering the ingredients of making bread, which if you've made bread before, it's a very particular process. And you have to remember each of the steps. You have to remember that certain ingredients needed, need to be combined at a certain time. And you have to remember to let them do their thing for a time. And then you can add this ingredient in. Because if you don't do this properly, the bread won't bake properly or it won't rise. And you'll just get a gummy mess. Um, that's the kind of remembering. When God remembers Hannah, it isn't because she's He's forgotten her, but rather this is out of a care. Um, it's, it's a careful remembrance, not a forgotful one. This phrase is actually used at some other um, times in Scripture, that God remembers Noah in the flood. God remembers Abraham and rescues Lot. This isn't that God, oh God, I forgot that I, there's a whole flood across the entire world, and oh, I guess I should take care of that guy. No, no, this is a careful remembrance. This is who our God is. So when the biblical authors write that God remembers, we're not meant to understand that God first forgot something, um, but rather that um, God is actually delivering on a promise. He's remembering, I've made a promise, and I'm going to deliver on it. So when we see that phrasing, God remembered, um, we have an idea of a biblical pattern that God remembers, and so now God is going to act. So not only is God remembering Hannah in her pain, but God is setting an already in motion plan to rescue the Israelites from the chaos and the darkness because the life of Hannah's son Samuel is going to play a part in what is to come through the rest of the biblical story. So God is remembering Hannah in her pain and he is remembering his people and the promise that he has made to them, which is going to ultimately lead to the rescuing of all of us through the cross. But that is jumping super way, way ahead of the story. We're going to we're not going to go there, but that is as an ultimate picture of Scripture. That is what we're looking at here. And so Hannah conceives and has a son, Samuel. And she remembers the, her vow that she had made. And so when Samuel is weaned, which is about three years old, um, she brings him to the temple and he stays there. What a lady. <laughs> what, a, what a woman for us um, to see the character of and to, and to learn from. Um, what we learn about Hannah in this story is the kind of character I think that we, we could hope to have as we see the ways that she is faithful in remembering her God, that she is, gr gr she is so gracious to what God has done. She worships, um, and she embodies this character um, for us to view and, and to want to embody. And it's through Hannah that um, we see how God exalts a faithful woman, a woman who is is low in status at this time. And he, he chooses to exalt her out of her faithfulness to rescue the people, which sounds pretty familiar to another faithful one in Scripture. And we read her song this morning as a call to worship, and that's through Mary. It's these deeply formed women that we have to look to to be the kinds of character, the kinds of people that we want to be. That Hannah exhibits the characteristics of a godly person one of, and one of the most remarkable things that we can learn from her is her gratefulness. Her gratefulness, it's one that's genuine. It's not um, the phony gratefulness, like, ah, yeah, all's good. But it is a, it is a genuine, lived-out gratefulness for us to learn from. And so this, this is what Hannah's gratefulness looks like. It's first and foremost, it's honest. Her gratitude um, has an honesty um, to it that I think at times in our culture we, 
we try to um, deny. Um, like if, if someone asks you how you're doing um, and you say, I'm fine, but like internally you're, you're not. Um, so Hannah is genuine and honest in her, um, in, in her gratitude and how she's doing and where she's at. Um, and she doesn't minimize it. She doesn't ignore it. Um, but rather she laments. Lament is this, this word um, that just means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. She is pleading. She is wailing. She is pouring herself out. These are, this is what lament is. She wept with many tears and she poured herself out. Um, uh, a definition of what lament is um, from the book Prophetic Lament says this. Laments are prayers of petition arising out of need. The lament is not simply the presentation of a list of complaints, nor merely the expression of sadness over difficult circumstances. Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated through lament. And so Hannah, she she's being honest with her, where she's at with her heart, and she comes before God with a hope, a hope of lament, that God would hear her and respond. For anyone, um, for anyone who's desired for, or longed for, or grieved, lament is a space that's available. The message that you have to shove it down and be okay, or you, you just got to be happy in the situation, that's, that's not what Scripture is actually saying. Scripture is giving a space for this lament, a space to come and cry before the Lord because we've, we are human and we have desires and we long for things and we grieve and we have these things and we're not meant to shove them down, but we're meant to be honest with them. Now, this summer, uh, we talked about, um, through our prayer series, through the Psalms, we did talk about lament, so I don't want to harp on it too much, um, but the Psalms are just such a place for us to see how grief and gratitude actually relate to one another, that almost all of the Psalms of lament have this movement of, um, through grief and sorrow, and then a movement into thankfulness and praise, that these, these two things that seem dissonant actually have a space together. Uh, in her book, Two Hands, um, Grief and Gratitude in Christian Living, Lynn Babb uses this image of holding grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and then being stretched by them. What does this mean for our grief? Well, it means, it means that you can hold your grief in one hand and you can hold your gratitude in the other hand and that this doesn't have to make this go away. You can hold both in your hands and you can look at both of them and they don't have to diminish one or the other, but you can hold them both and you, and you can look at them both. And in doing so, it's going to stretch you. It's going to grow you. It's going to deepen the character and inform who we are. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Gabby, I hear what you're saying, but this grief, it's too big. I can't, I don't know, I don't even know how I can even find something to put in this hand. And so you're, you're feeling like this. Um, and for, for you, I say, that is what community is for. The community is so that your hand is weighing down here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift it up for you. You need something to put in your hand. I'm going to show you how grateful I am for you. 
how good God has been in your life, and I'm going to help bring you back up here, that you can hold this grief, and you can look at this gratitude, and, and, and they, they can be held together. Because we cannot talk about the gratefulness of Hannah without talking about the grief of Hannah too. And it's okay to hold those two together. And that isn't to say all great all gratefulness means there's going to be some grief too. There, there's such joy and praise and wonderfulness that happens in gratitude. But that also is to say that sometimes grief can be held with it as well. So what does that look like in your life? Well, it's going to look different in every situation, but I can give you an example from my own life. Um, about five years ago, uh, I had a miscarriage. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, walk through, and it was, it was heavy. And we were living in D.C. at the time, and we had a community that did this for us. They, they took our daughter Nora to the zoo so we could have a day to just cry. They brought us meals, and then they reminded us the goodness of God. And so that was a time it, in the middle of that pain that I could hold those two things. As, as difficult as this was, I was grateful for a community. And now, five years later, as I reflect on it, I still feel this grief. But now, it, the gratitude is similar. I'm still so grateful for that community. But as I look at this gratitude I hold with this grief, um, I have a daughter, Ella, who's four. And if and if I had had if I had had this baby, I wouldn't have Ella. And that grief is still there. It doesn't. Being so grateful for the life of Ella does not make this go away, but I can hold them together. They can coexist, and so that that's that's what Hannah's doing here. That's what we have for us. Um, for for some of us, it might mean looking at the loss of someone we really loved but being grateful for the life and the time that we had with them. It might be looking at this longing for something, but also being grateful for the people we have and letting those things to coexist and to let that inform and deepen our character, inform and deepen our relationship to God. So Hannah leaves the temple after receiving Eli's blessing, and she's looking less sad. And I want us to note that she isn't feeling that way, not because her circumstances have changed. She is still without a child. But she's leaving feeling a little less sad. And that's because in pouring her heart out before the Lord, it did, it did something in her heart. Hannah's able to pray in her grief because, based on the assumption that, one, God hears, that God cares, and that God will respond. That's, that's how she's able to pray in her grief. Because she has that assumption. That God hears her and God cares and God will respond. And so in her praying, she remembers who God is and what God has done. And then something shifts in her when she prays to the God who hears. In Psalm 77, um, we see a similar shift that happens when the psalmist remembers. So I'm going to read Psalm 77 for us. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. 
I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then this, this is where it shifts. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. That shift happens in verse 10. Uh, when the psalmist remembers the miracles, considers all that God has done, and then the rest of the psalm um, carries out in that same way. This, this attitude of, I remember what God has done, and, and, and this similar attitude, that the shift happens because of a remembrance of who God is and what God has done. So there's another part of gratitude that Hannah displays for us in this story, and it's remembrance. There's a French proverb that says, gratitude is the memory of the heart. The gratitude is about remembering. Hannah remembers who God is. She remembers what God has done. And then this enables her to respond in gratitude. If we want to be grateful people, then we need to remember to remember. We're not like God. We, we set pots of water to boil over and forget them all the time. We need to remember to remember if we want to be grateful people. Remembering who God is. Remembering what God has done in our lives and in our stories, what God has done in scripture, what God has done for humanity. And so what we need is to develop rhythms of gratitude in our lives remembering to remember that we could respond just as Hannah did. We need to do it corporately. We do that here on Sundays. We, rem we come to the communion table and remember what God has done. We sing songs of worship, remembering the goodness of God. And we also have to do that creating daily rhythms in our everyday lives, creating spaces to remember God and what he's done. And there are times of spontaneity in our remembrance too. When we're moving through our days and you just, you're, God, I remember I prayed that and here, here it is. Um, and so we need to create these different rhythms of gratitude within our lives. And so for Hannah, that meant keeping her promise. Um, that even though this child that she had longed for and prayed for, um, her love for God was greater and her trust in God was greater. And as a mom, I, ah, I, 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 as I was sitting with this story all week, I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around, like, just dropping off my kid at, the temple, knowing I'm going to see him every year when we come up for a sacrifice. And, but her, her love for God and her trust in God was bigger than that. And, and God did a huge thing through Samuel, through this story. Um, and so we need to create rhythms of gratitude within our lives. Um, because Hannah, she, she could have put her identity and her security and her happiness in this thing that she had been longing for for literally years but instead, she places that in God. So we need to develop a rhythm of gratitude in our lives. Start with being honest with where you're at. 
our weekly staff meetings, um, we always ask the question, how is it with your soul? Start there. Every day ask yourself, how, how is it with my soul? How am I doing? And be honest and respond in that. If you need a space of lament, lament. If in checking in with your soul, it's like, gosh, I'm, God, I'm doing really good. Amazing. Praise God and give him that thankfulness. And then spend some time remembering God and what he's done and ask God how we might respond. It might look like, God, I am grateful for a healthy body. I want to respond by taking care of it. God, I am grateful for these friendships that I've, I've made. I, I want to respond by deeply caring for those friends. Or God, I'm grateful for the job I have. I want to respond by giving back to my neighbors. So, But spending some time, because if you don't remember what it is you're grateful for, then how can you respond out of that? And that's what Hannah does. That's what we are to do to draw us in into a deep relationship with God. That gratitude and remembering, it changes. That there are tons of studies about how being a gracious person, having lots of gratitude, being thankful, how it, it makes us really healthy people. And that's great. God designed our bodies to that gratitude would make us healthy people. But ultimately, we're, we're, we're so gracious, we have thankfulness, we have gratitude because of who God is and what God has done. And, and we need to anchor ourselves in remembering that. So my challenge for us is that we might be like Hannah, that we might be the type of people who can honestly approach God in prayer, remembering all he has done for us and through us, and that we might respond with grateful hearts. Would you pray with me?